Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 243 of Dogcast Radio, all about a challenging border collie and educating children about dogs in Greece. It's a long episode because both interviews are long and I wanted to include them both. I've had feedback that longer episodes are good for dog walks, but people also like the shorter episodes, so let me know what you think. And for now, maybe I'll keep mixing it up and varying the length of the podcasts. You can find all our podcasts at dogcastradio.com. Let's get this marathon show started. Later, you can hear from John Garstang. Because I've done most of my work in shelters, I have to work with animals that are just from the street most of the time. Yeah. So I've learned to look for tiny cues, either positive or negative or neutral or whatever. I think that we just need to be more in tune with our animals on an individual level. Yeah. Uh, learn, and, and learn like how they learn best. And John doesn't just talk. Oh no, he sings and he sings very well. And he sings in English and Greek. Here's a taste to whet your appetite. <laughs> Speak for me, I cannot talk Live my life as an underdog But before that, we hear from author Walter Stoffel about his book, Lance, A Spirit Unbroken. Walter describes himself as having survived the rescue of Lance, a border collie with issues. I love Walter's honesty and his humour and the lengths he went to for Lance. Hi, Walter. Good morning. Actually, I guess good morning here, good afternoon there. Yeah, yeah. And to anybody listening, good good evening, if that's what it is. <laughs> but there you go. Any time of day. This is going to be a good <laughs> It's going to be a good interview, whatever time of day you're, you're in. We're going to talk about your book, um, Lance, A Spirit Unbroken, which is, is a wonderful book. And it's inspired, but well, it's all about your dog, Lance. So let's talk about Lance. Let's jump straight in. Because Lance had a, a sad start to life, didn't he? Uh, yes, I would say sad, and uh, the more I learned, uh, tragic for a mm. dog. Mm. I met him, uh, well, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. Yeah. My wife and I uh, moved to Pennsylvania uh, from Long Island, mm. United States, uh, in 1998. Our daughter had moved to Pennsylvania with the kids, so we followed and we moved into a small town called Mount Bethel. It's right on the border of Pennsylvania, New Jersey. And back then, when I had both my original hips, <laughs> I, w- I was a long distance runner. Uh, I would run competitively on the weekends and I would run through the neighborhood during the week to stay in shape. And wow. my running took me past the house just a couple of blocks away from me. There was a dog there on the yard, on the yard, uh, on a run. He'd come charging at me as far as he could get. And, you know, I kept going and I never approached him because uh, years earlier, I had read somewhere that a dog that's left outside 24 seven is not to be trusted. Mm. And it didn't take me long to figure out that that was this dog's situation. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, cool dog. during the winter, uh, my wife and I were just taking a little bit of a walk in a, in a snowstorm. It was, mm. you know, we kind of like that kind of stuff. Walked by his house. The run was taut 
into the doghouse. So I said, my God, even in this weather, he's outside. You know? mm, yeah. Uh, that, went on, that went on. Well, you know, I felt bad, but it's not my dog. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. And um, three years went by. And one day I'm walking to work. And a lady says, you want to adopt a dog? And I said, well, not really. But if I did, it'd be that poor dog up the street, the one that's outside all the time. She pointed to the dog she was walking. This, that's this dog. His yeah. name is Lance. My name is Anna. I have very poor vision, so I couldn't quite. I had to really zero in and look. I said, you know what? By golly, it is Lance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know it was Lance, but that's the dog. Yeah. So, of course, the first thing I wanted to ask her is, why in the world do you keep your dog outside all the time? Yeah. Before, before I could ask it, she said, well, he's not my dog. His owners threw him outside of uh, threw him out of their house when he was weeks old. And I kind of, uh, you know, took upon myself. I got my husband to build a doghouse, but on the owner's property. Yeah. He put up the run and the lead on the dog's pro- on the owner's property. She cooked soups and stews and brought them to him on the owner's property. Yeah. And she had been doing this for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, when I say awful, awful from the dog's point of view, you know, that when you think when you think of our dogs and how much love and attention and company and, you know, they get and 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 physical comfort and protection from the elements. That's it just seems sad for a dog to be. Out there on his own. And I think, you know, when you talk about dogs that are left outside not being trustworthy or, or becoming very defensive, I think that's where it comes from because they don't have anybody else to trust or look after them. So they have to look after themselves, don't they? Become untrusting of the outside world, the rest of the world. It's horrible. Of living, of living creatures. Yes. Yeah. Poor Lance. So... So that's a, that's a heck of a proposition then, isn't it? You know, would you like to adopt this dog that you've seen? Wow. So I, then I asked her, I said, well, do you, you, know, you know, do you think the owner, I always like dogs. Yeah. And I said, do you think the owner would, and, you know, now I assume seeing him walk, I said, okay, he is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you, I asked her if she thought the owners would mind if I walked them. And she said, they, you know, they could pretty much care less what you did with the dog. Mm-hmm. So uh, the following weekend, I marched up to the house and. I actually had my one and only meeting with Mr. Schmidt, the owner. Mm. I I just felt uncomfortable from the very get go. Mm. It it was just, you know, when there's an indefinable something about someone that can't warm up to no matter what. Mm. Um, And then I guess some of my naivete about dogs showed because I didn't bring a leash. He got a leash. Mm. We walked out to, to leash Lance, and the minute the owner approached him, Lance sank down, kind yeah. of on all fours, almost hiding his head between his front paws. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh, this is great. This dog, he's nice and, and shy and meek, and he's just rambunctious on walks. I really didn't put two and two together. Yeah. So the minute Mr. Schmidt handed me the leash, the, the dog came to life. Mm, he he wow. pulled me out for a walk. Yeah. And yeah. he was doing the same thing to me he had been doing to um, Anna. That was the lady that was walking. I mean, he was just a ball of fire. 
And interestingly, every once in a while on our walk, he would look back at me and it was almost as if he was, I felt he was kind of sizing me up, you know? <laughs> yes. Is this a, a friend or a foe? Yeah. So far, it's pretty good. He's walking me, you know, but <laughs> so that's, that really is the history of our first walk, official walk. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go from that first walk to, to him being your dog? How did that happen? Well, I started feeling obligated, you know, because I knew I would, I knew this dog was doing nothing when he wasn't getting walked by me. And he was alone when he wasn't getting walked by me. So one walk a week became two walks a week, became three walks a week. Um, funny story. We'd go on these and I was very responsible on a leash on the street, you know, all prim and proper. Yeah. We were coming back from these walks and I was absolutely exhausted. <laughs> Lance would sit there maybe five or 10 minutes to catch his breath. And then he wanted to go on another walk. Mm, yeah. So just just for the heck of it, I got in my car one day and I measured on the odometer. We were doing six point nine miles. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to myself, mm. self, this has got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, now, I, I'm sure some of uh, the people listening to this are going to roll their eyes, but I did learn something as a writer. Don't try to whitewash anything about anybody, including yourself. Yes. Yeah. Tell the I've story. Always, yeah. I've always had a reckless streak. And I think one of the reasons Lance and I were a good match was because he was off the wall. So we kind of bonded that way. So I got this brilliant idea. I said, you know what? I'm going to take him to the local state park. I'm going to drive him to the local state park and I'm going to let him run. He can run his behind off. Yeah. And I won't have to match him foot you know, <laughs> step by step. Yeah. So it's described in the book. I, I've never had a dog act the way Lance did in a car. Mm. Now, what I did one day is I, I, and you know, I'm not telling his owners anything and they never asked me anything. They never asked where I was taking him, what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was um, I was mutually comfortable with us not communicating with each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So one day I walk him down to my car. He hops in like he'd done it a million times, which, of course, he hadn't. Yeah. Start the car. Everything's good. The minute the car started moving, he went ballistic. Mm -hmm. He would jump from the back seat to the front seat to the back seat to the front seat oh. um and just for a test i when i break uh, i would break the car he would stop it was mm. almost it was like a jekyll and hyde in the car yeah uh, i have written and then when we started driving everything outside the car was fair game he was after he'd bark at telephone poles people <laughs> mailboxes. Oh, didn't cool. matter if it was moving or not the car yeah. was moving he was moving. So um, I, I read somewhere that that just is a dog that has a very strong predatory instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And I was grateful that he was after what was outside the car, not the driver. inside. <laughs> this so, is true. <laughs> so we get to the park. We make it to the park. I let him out. I leash him up. I walk into the woods. Uh, it's very empty. Very few people. I walk off the trail into the woods and I say to myself, do you really want to do this? It's not your dog. You know, it's just, you don't know what's going to happen. And again, the reckless part of me clicked in. I, I unleashed him. 
And what he did is he started investigating the area, but he never really let me out of his sight. So we walked for a while. And, you know, it was good because he'd dart here, dart there. And I'm walking like maybe one tenth of the amount that he is, which is, was my whole plan. So I said, yeah. well, you know, Walter, you're a genius. <laughs> All right. So we get back to the car. He won't get into the car. Oh, bless him. He won't get into the car. So I mentioned in the book, I tried, um, I forget what I tried to get him in first. Then what I did is I'd drive the car a little bit. He'd follow behind. <laughs> and I figured I'd get him in that. Every time I break the car, he slammed on his brakes. <laughs> so now I'm getting worried because I'm saying, you know, if I can't get this dog back to his owner's, First of all, Anna would be really upset. Yeah. I violated her trust in a way. So what I did is I walked over to a rock and sat down like I was resting. Yeah. He came over close enough for me to leash him up. So I snagged him. And I, Julie, I really think, you know, dogs can't talk, but they can communicate. He did not want to go back home. No, no. So, well, that's freedom, but, isn't it? You gave him freedom and he wanted I mean, that. Yeah. For 10 years and, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first walk. Mm. An eventful one it was. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, congratulations because you outwitted aboard the collie there. That's no slim feet. That's that's very good going. <laughs> <laughs> I do, you've just gone up in my estimation there. <laughs> well, I, I do point out right in the preface that I am not putting myself out as any kind of dog expert whatsoever. And that people might question some of my dog ownership uh, habits. But here it is. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, though. Tell the story and then you can have a conversation, even if that conversation involves you saying, well, I've learned better now. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about a, a, a book that I wrote um, 10 years ago and, you know, and yes, I'm, I'm, I'm recording it now and I'm not changing. It. I'm saying, yeah, OK, let's have a conversation. That's that's what I thought then. That's what I did then. That's not what I think now. It's on some of it, you know, it's uh, and that's an important conversation to have. So, yeah, great. I agree. Really, you know what I'm confident about? I'm confident, though, some of the readers may question my judgment. I know Lance was on the same page with me. Yeah. He, yeah. he appreciated it. Yeah. Bless him. Oh, bless him. So then did he go back to, to his owners? Um, did he go back to his outdoor life or what, what happened then after that walk? We walked. I walked him for a period of about six months. Hmm. Uh, and in that six months. He there. I there was just something unique about this dog. I, I don't I don't know. It, there was something about he had a quirkiness that part of it may have been because of the life he lived, but he had a built-in quirkiness, I believe, from day one. It would have been a great dog to have as a puppy. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. But I it, we got into situations. Uh, I, I describe one in the book. He he we see for the first time in his life he sees a pond. <laughs> yes. For the first time in his life he sees a swan on the pond. <laughs> and for the first time in his life, Lance goes swimming. <laughs> What he did the swan wanted, think? <laughs> he wanted to get the swan. Oh. Uh, so to make that a short story, let's just say Lance got out to the middle of the pond. And by that time, the swan was tired of the exercise and flew away. Lance, for some reason, could not figure out how to swim back to shore. Oh, no. So instead of that, 
he scales this huge boulder sticking out of the water and yeah. climbs it to the top and he is barking at well it was a day so he's barking at the sun yeah yeah he won't <laughs> he he just won't come down and all i can say is by the time and again i was saying i, I you know what how am I, what am i going to do go get the owners and tell them hey Come get your dog. Yes, there's your dog if you want him. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> yes. I'll just tell you that we uh, we both got back to his property and we were both soaked. Yes. And actually, there's a photo in the book and taken. My wife, <laughs> my wife just happened to drive by <laughs> as I'm hooking him up. And she said, you're soaked. What happened? And I told her what happened and she said, you keep forgetting he's not your dog. But then, you know, she saw the humor and she thankfully she snapped the photo because it's in the book. (laughs) And if you look real closely, you can see Lance's hair is matted because he's soaked. Oh, I was too. But um, so six months of this excitement with him. And as fate would have it. One day I'm going to walk him. I had this thing that uh, I would make a sound like a or a hmm. he'd know I was out there. He'd come running out of his doghouse. It was just, you know, a little clucking of the tongue. Um, he didn't come out. I hmm. did it again. He didn't come out. I called Lance. He didn't come out. Totally unlike him. Eventually, he comes slowly out, walks up to me very slowly. Now, it was getting starting to get dark. It wasn't until he got close to me. He had this huge gash on his snout. Actually, oh. it went from above one eye to be- to below that eye. Hmm. He came this close to losing an eye. Wow. Um, I didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I, I leashed him and I walked him over to Anna's house. That's the neighbor that had helped him. She took one look and said, I'll take care of this. Mm-hmm. I walked back home and I kind of was kicking myself in the head because I said, you know, you got to realize this dog's outside like that at the mercy. We have bears in that area. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, what what was I thinking? Well, Anna told me uh, she had to to uh, raise a ruckus with the owners in the book is the Schmitz. They didn't want to get him treatment. I don't know what she did to tell him. They she forced them to take him to the vet. Yeah. All right. So I waited a week or two, figuring he had to heal, and then then I started. You know, I walked up the first time. I was kind of scared as to what I'd see. Yeah. And this is where, as fate would have it, the owner and his son were out. I guess giving him some kind of eye drops or something. You know, you could hear him, the dog wincing, you know, when it hit him or whatever. Mm. And they were joking about nuking their dog. Oh, so my goodness. I, I you know, I, I listened. I, I didn't really. I'm not the confrontational mm. type. And the guy kind of like said that fool that's that's walking him. He'll be heartbroken. Boo hoo. You know, Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Lovely people. Mm. They they. um they kind of walked into the house laughing and giggling. You know, I waited for them to go inside. I got Lance. Overall, it the injury didn't look as bad as my mind was conjuring it. But when I was done with the walk, I went back to my wife and I said to her, hey, this dog can't die under my watch. Yeah. Is that yeah. simple? And I remember saying that graphically because, um, you know, I, I knew what was going to happen. One day I'd walk up there, the doghouse would be gone, the run would be gone, and I would know what happened. 
Yeah, yeah. So guilt trip, yes. <laughs> oh, but it yes, it worked, didn't it? Because he he came to live with you, and I imagine then he sort of buckled down, and he was a, a model dog. <laughs> you know what I forgot to mention though in those six hmm. months? Yeah. Not once, but twice. Lance broke loose and came down and was on my porch. Oh, bless. He was telling you. Mm. Not once, but twice, I dutifully brought him back. Yeah. You know, um, we lived in a uh, cats only allowed apartment. Mm. So now the question was, what are we going to do? We we had just had some financial difficulties, Mm. bankruptcies and stuff. Buying a house didn't seem feasible, so we looked for uh, apartments that took dogs. They're few and far between. Mm. Uh, you got to pay extra premium to, you know, have a pet. Then just for the heck of it, we ran credit reports on ourselves, and they didn't turn out to be as bad as we thought they would be. Mm. My late sister, Liz, huge dog lover, she fronted us the money for the down payment for a house. Oh, and bless she, her. She didn't really... I knew she wasn't really lending it to us. It was kind of like a gift. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so then we had to find a house. So uh, the the town we're living in now, which is, you know, we're living, still living in the house that Lance bought. It's kind of densest. It's probably about 30 miles from Mount Bethel North. Mm. We pull into the driveway and I said, sold. And my wife said, well, (laughs) How can you say that? You haven't seen the inside. And I said to her, it's simple. It's on an acre and a half. It's a dead end street. And it's surrounded by protected woodlands. It's perfect for a dog. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I wonder how many people buy a house based on will it suit the dog? <laughs> this was an and this was an emergency. Yeah. You know, yeah. Every day that I, I went up there walking to walk him, I was always afraid what I would really what yeah. i wouldn't find yes you know yeah. so mm-hmm. um we did this uh, we did it helter skelter it happened uh yeah. of course you know when you move into the house the kitchen is too small the electric's antiquated the roof leaks but lance got his house <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> so as i say i imagine he's very grateful then for you taking him in and he became sort of a, a model canine citizen not at all <laughs> Well, good. Not good for all, him. Not at all, I say. I, the lack of appreciation was stunning. <laughs> so, um, th- there is a little a glitch on the way. I I had never spoken to his owners other than that first day. Mm. I never told them we were looking for a house. I, I as I said, I tend to avoid confrontation when at all possible. But now that we had the house, I had to go down there and get yeah. the dog. Yeah. I walk up to the front door, and for the first time, I meet Mrs. Schmidt. And I said, "My name's Walter. I'm the guy that's been walking your dog. I, I've got good news for you. I'm going to take him off your hands." And her answer. Oh, we couldn't let you do that. I'm having brain surgery. Lance is going to be my therapy dog. <laughs> so uh, your reaction to that, Julie, is similar to what my, I was, you know, I'm yeah. a writer, but I have to admit I was lo- at a loss for words. Mm, yes. <laughs> I, just, I just did a U-turn. I just said, good luck with the operation and did a U-turn. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I took the alternate route home because I didn't want to drive by Lance because I figured, you know, I, I really didn't want to even see him if this wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So then I thought, you know what? I might have to steal this dog. 
And between you and me, Julie, I didn't, but I would have if I had had to. At that point, I because I knew what was going on. I called up Anna and I told her what they had told me and her famous terse reply again. Let me handle this. (laughs) I love Anna. (laughs) Well, you know what? I couldn't have done what she did for 10 years, no. especially in hindsight, what I found out about. But you know what? I can't question somebody else because he definitely would have been dead if she wasn't there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, she was kind of keeping him alive in a pool of sharks, as it turned out. But, you know, yeah. so she read them. that She told them <clears throat> the law at the time was that you were allowed in, in Pennsylvania to keep a dog outside all the time as long as he had some kind of shelter and some kind of food Mm. so in a way she had kind of painted herself into a corner because you know um and people had told her over the years why you steal them and she said i just don't break the law you know that was you know that's her answer yeah so she told them that she would take the doghouse down and take the food away and report them to the authorities Now, I really think she was bluffing. I don't think she would have had the heart to do it, but they fell for it. Mm-hmm. So when she called me back to just in her terse way, I took care of it. You can take the door. <laughs> I flew down in my car sideways before that because they were flaky. Yeah. I didn't want them to change their mind. Did they say yeah. flaky in the United Kingdom? Yeah, flaky, unreliable, changeable. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they were flaky. Yeah. Um, People were there. Uh, they loaded the doghouse onto a pickup truck. We brought the whole thing in the run-up to our house. I thanked everybody. We set it up. Uh, my wife had said, you know, this dog is not housebroken. He's been outside, you know, and I could attest to the amount of poop I walked around every time <laughs> I, you know. Mm-hmm. So she said, let's keep him outside for a little while and we'll ease him in, you know. So I hooked him up. Before I even got to the door, he started howling. Oh, yeah. We sat inside. He kept howling. And my wife said, you know, the neighbors aren't going (laughs) to like us if we have a howling book. Let him in. Yeah. And you know what? I know to me, the whole thing is an adventure, but the adventure really begins now. (laughs) You know, rescuing him was not the end of the story. Yeah. He flies into the house. He pins himself up against the wall and he's sitting in alert mode. <laughs> we have a watchdog inside the house that's watching us. Yes. So, yeah. you know, we figured, well, we'll see what happened. This and that. Well, the very that very first night. My wife goes out to the kitchen to get something. She steps over him. He bites her. I mean, it's a bad bite. Yeah. Oh, crying. Bad bite. She's bleeding. I heard her scream. I wake up. I said, oh, it's my mistake. I forgot to turn the light on. I shouldn't have stayed. Right away, alibying for the dog. You know? Oh, yeah. You know? So we tried to think we, you know, again, we're not experts. We tried to think that this was an isolated event. And yeah, maybe you should put the light on and, you know. I have to tell you, eventually we had the lights on all the time in all the all the house, just just for our own safety. Yeah. Um, the next day, I'm watching television. I'm absent-mindedly petting Lance, who's sitting next to my recliner. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a good thing I had good peripheral vision. I see his head whirl. 
He snaps onto my hand. I yank it out just in time. And what's left are teeth impressions and foam. Yeah. I got it out just in time. Now I realize we really have a problem on our hands. Yeah. And just to reinforce that, the following, the next Monday, he's lying on our bed. I'm going to work. I'm giving him a little pat before I go to work. He snarls. I mean, it, it, vicious, vicious yeah. snarl and snap. He doesn't get me again. Yeah. I used to joke to my wife when she was getting uh, bitten and I wasn't getting officially bitten. I just said I had <laughs> reflexes, you know. Yes. Yeah. So now we know the kind of dog we have. Yeah. Um, which I, and again, this is a professional guesstimate. I considered Lance a semi-feral dog. Yeah. He couldn't quite, yeah. he couldn't quite live in the wilds, but he couldn't live comfortably with people either. He needed us to stay alive, but he wasn't totally at ease. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always felt safer around Lance when we were outside. And again, this could just be my imagination, but he had lived outside so long. However dangerous that was, he knew it. Yeah. He knew his element. Yeah. Um, it was familiar. I was thinking that it's a huge, huge change for him. This outdoor life on his own to, you know, however, however much he's done with love. It's a huge change to living inside with people, isn't it? Wow. Julie, I have to, I have to admit a couple of other things. I was not, not really that familiar with the Border Collie breed. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, every day, and whenever I heard Collie, I always kind of thought of Lassie, you know? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I did learn a lot from Lance. He did maintain a lot of the traits despite his horrendous upbringing, uh, you know, some of the ingrained traits. But I thought to myself, you know, Border Collies are really smart. Was Lance smart enough to mind his P's and Q's while before he got rescued and <laughs> not show his true self until he was safe in a house? I, I might be stretching it. But, you know, these thoughts run through your head when you got a dog that never showed any signs of aggression to me for six months. And then suddenly, you know, yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't get what we paid for. You know, <laughs> I mean, we didn't pay anything, really, but yes. we paid for it. All right. You know, <laughs> yeah. Afterwards. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, I would say I don't want to discourage people from reading the book. So I'm just going to say the rest of the story alternates between dealing with an unpredictable uh, ornery dog and the humor that that dog provided there's the two sides of this of this story um my wife i i can think of at least three documented blood drawing bites wow Uh, there was one there was one she was walking him now you would think lance would be happy being walked yeah a boy went by on a bicycle and a limb dropped from a tree at the same time. And he bit my wife right in the leg. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's as you say, what movement. Hyper, hypersensitivity. Um, yeah. I, do have, I have a photo of him in the book when he was in attack mode in the house. I also have one of him when he's kind of in panic mode, pressed yeah. up against the wall. He's got a look of anxiety, I swear, on that face. Mm-hmm. So these were the, the flip sides of what he was dealing with. And the other thing, um, he showed remorse. Yeah. He would voluntarily uh, banish himself to a room after he bit my wife. Oh, and bless he would, We could not get him to come. He would, he would determine how long his time out was. Mm-hmm. And come out with a very sheepish look on his face. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. People that can't believe, don't see those things in dogs. I, I don't know how to explain it to you, but it was there. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, I know exactly what you mean. Once, once in his life, Buddy, my Labrador, put teeth on, on someone. And it was a vet. He didn't. He didn't draw blood. But she she pulled the the sticky bandage off him, and it was actually stuck onto like fur and skin. And it must have. I would have bitten her. You know, I would have bitten her if she'd done that to me. Anyway, yes, it really really hurt. She pulled it off, and he just whipped his head around and held her hand, and then he let go. And I know exactly what you mean because he was saying so plainly to her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, they know they, it's, it's, but he, he was, you know, and like I said, if she'd done that to me, I would have bitten her for sure. So, you know, but yes, they do. They, there is this sense of, oh, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And, and a, a kind of, as you say, remorse. And it's just, ah, I can't believe I did that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, bless him. So, I mean, the book tells an honest account then, it gives an honest account of life with the dog. And it does have, I mean, it sounds like with Lance, there were there were lots of ups and downs that were very, very intense. Um, but life with a dog is like that, isn't it? It's, it's ups and downs and it's a lot of joy, but a lot of pain and anguish sometimes. I would certainly agree with you if we're talking about life with a dog named Lance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think everything is on steroids in his case. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We right. wound up... Um, you know, now this is me as the author, so of course I could be prejudiced. There are so many great anecdotes in, the, in that book of, of the craziness. Yeah. Um, there was a, we wound up having to buy a five, it was five or $6,000 fence. Wow. Simply because we realized, you know, to keep the world away from Lance and Lance away from the world. And the, the fence salesman suggested an extra foot high <laughs> because of his, <laughs> his jumping ability. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a dog now that's approaching his teen years, you know. <laughs> yeah. So oh. one day a, a police officer uh, walks up to the door. And, you know, by this time, I've already had a number of other incidents with Lance. So I'm thinking, okay, what next? Yeah. So it it turns out that Lance got off the property and got on a school bus. Oh, wow. (laughs) So the kids knew him. You know, they told the bus driver, you know, don't touch him. Yeah. Lance had a nickname in the neighborhood, the Terminator. (laughs) So, you know, he... (laughs) So... The long and short of that one is, uh, uh, and when the bus driver started moving, Lance was chasing the bus. The, the bus driver goes, and you'll you'll appreciate this, Julie, as a border collie person. When the bus stops, Lance gets in front of the bus, starts circling, <laughs> circling it, like you know, yeah, you're not going until I tell you. Oh, so what the bus driver finally had to do is he threw his lunch in the woods. Lance went off the head. I'm laughing myself because it is, you know, yeah. he, the, guy, he, the guy probably broke the speed limit getting out of there, you know. And I was, that's what the cop told me. And I was telling me, I said, that's unusual because Lance would usually rather run than eat, you know. Yes. It, but, yeah. It a good lunch. Yeah. Oh, I bet the guy was really, so, <laughs> didn't want to get rid of that lunch. <laughs> I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to give the secret away as to how he got off the property. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, you know, 
Yeah, um, I did figure it out months later. I caught him in the act. She always did. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, uh, you know, um, I don't know if there's. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, there was a time I reckless. Yeah, you know what it was. We had all this protected woodlands around us, and I mean, when I say protected, not even hunted allowed. And I said to myself, this dog deserves to get his work out, but away from people. And, yes. and, you know, I just could not handle him on a leash. It, it was brutal. I just yeah. can't do seven miles just like it's just like Lance could do it. Yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, we didn't run into any issues in the woods. However, there was one time that we bumped into three very unsavory characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they were ride, riding ATVs. Uh, the one guy had a firearm. And another guy had bow and arrow. Wow. Um, the other guy, as I describe in the book, huge muscle bound guy. He had all the pock marks. I'm sure he was taking steroids. Mm-hmm. I. And the, the I call him the leader because he seen he was doing he was wearing Air Force sunglasses. If you're familiar with them, you can't mm. see the person's eyes. Yeah, it was just it was a very negative aura. And I'm thinking to myself, here I am in the middle of nowhere, and I had to come up with some excuse why I'm out there. They were kind of like saying this is their territory, mm-hmm. which I knew it wasn't. Yeah, you know what? If if they've got the armaments, you know? yeah. Yes. So thank God Lance sniffed them and then went on to other things Mm -hmm. like he lost interest. Yes. And what I wound up doing was at some point I told him, you know, I was going this way. I gave him an excuse why I was going that way. I knew I had to turn my back on these guys and I really felt very uncomfortable doing it, but I, mm. I had to get out of there. So I'm walking away. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get, you know, cut down in a hail of bow, of uh, arrows and yes. bullets, you know, it didn't happen, but that was, but then again, there was the other time <laughs> there was, you're, you're refreshing my memory. <laughs> While while I still had while I was still walking him from the Schmidt's property before I rescued him and I had let him loose in the woods, he starts barking off and he took off, you know, mm. he he's barking in the hinterlands. He comes running out on the on the path that was there and he wants me to follow him into where he was, which, of course, I even I knew better than that, you know, <laughs> going through the bramble to get to what I don't know what. So. Mm. I hook him up. I take him back out on the road on Mount Bethel. A car, a truck, a pickup comes steaming up behind me. And this guy opens his window. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie Deliverance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm talking about the people that lived in Deliverance land. Yeah. This guy was a poster child for that kind <laughs> of guy, you know? Yeah. We we call him we call him summer teeth here in the U.S. Summer here, summer there. So, and he had rifle rack in the car. He said, "If that dog ever go comes near my place again, I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going to." Oh my goodness! You. Yeah, wow. I, that should have been a warning to me right then. Don't take Lance. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
But no, would I listen? Oh. <laughs> I, I'm kind of giving stories in reverse chronological order, but yeah. dangerous situation. Um, there was the time I want to tell some things, but leave surprise. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there was a time I was watching a, a, a football game, a, a U.S. football. Uh, red, they're no longer the Redskins, but back then they were the Redskins and the Giants. So mm. I'm watching the game. It's a Sunday. It's late. Lance wants a walk. And I'm saying to myself, well, this is going to be a 15-minute one because it's halftime. So I'll take you out for 15 or 20 minutes, then we're coming <laughs> back. We go in the woods. Now it's dark now. Um, I did take a flashlight. I didn't, you know, I did that much. <laughs> so we're walking and I'm timing it. I'm thinking of, you know, it's about 10 minutes. So let's turn around and do the 10 minutes back home. So I call for Lance. Doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. Unlike Lance, usually when I called him out there, he would, you know, at least check in with me before he went off again. Yeah. So he's getting nowhere. So now I'm getting worried. I walk further. I hear Lance growling, barking, growling, barking, and then dead silence. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, <laughs> what got him? And if what got him got him, will it get me? <laughs> you know, you do at some point. Oh, yeah. About yourself. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's pitch dark. It's starting to drizzle. And I do a 360 with my flashlight, seeing if I can see anything. I can't see anything. So all of a sudden, Lance appears from behind a big boulder. He's breathing. He's panting. He's breathing. He's panting like I've never heard a dog pant before, not even after running. It's got an odd sound to it. I look a little closer. Remember, Julie, I told you I don't have great vision. Mm-hmm. I look a little closer. And I see he's got a bunch of straw sticking out of his mouth. First, I thought he had a dead animal. Then I said, it's a bunch of straw. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm Long Island long ago was asphalted from one end to the other. So really, I'm a I'm I I'm not a country boy <laughs> by by heritage. So. It took me a while when he got closer. He had been porcupine. <gasps> oh, my goodness. He oh. had been porcupine. Oh. So here we are. Now it's starting to rain. It's starting to get foggy. We're a ways from the house. Yeah. I leash him up. <laughs> I walk him out onto, I, instead of going back towards the house, I walk to the closest paved road for some reason i wanted to keep on a paved road Mm -hmm. we're walking on this twisty road i think it for those that know canadensis i think it was bear mountain road (laughs) and you say oh yeah i know that road (laughs) twisty and windy cars are just missing us because visibility is terrible i'm Mm -hmm. walking lance is panting we get to the main road and i take a rest on a boulder and I, I and I'm really worried that the dog is not going to be able to hang in there. Yeah. Really gasping to get breath. Mm-hmm. So I say to myself, "You're going to have to carry this dog the rest of the way." Oh now, Lance, my goodness! Lance was a, a Zoftig uh, border collie, probably from eating so much home cooking. I mean, he tipped the scales in in the seventy pound range. Wow! Uh, yeah. 
even what, even after giving him all the exercise I gave him, you know, he's stuck with the, you know, yeah. um, and I have a bad back. Yeah. So I'm walking this dog. I would say I had to carry him, give or take about a mile. Wow. Until I got to the our doorstep. Yeah. The, the, the last 200 yards was completely uphill. So I'm exhausted. <gasps> wow. My wife says, you know, this is, she laughed at me. <laughs> when, it, when she opened the door, she looks, there's Emma carrying Lance. He's got all these books. I said, get the pliers. <laughs> That's all I could think of at the time. Yes, she said, yes. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Especially with Lance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to be pleased. Yeah. Wow. You know, now I, you know, people will have to read the book because the book is in chronological yes. order. It yeah. does a much better job than I'm doing because <laughs> now I'm going to have to give another flashback. The first vet that I took Lance to when we wrecked it, we wrecked, we rescued him. Mm-hmm. They, uh, black, they blackballed Lance mm-hmm. because of his behavior. Wow. So unfortunately, and I do, uh, we thankfully found a great old school traveling vet uh, that took over treatment. And mm. I heap praise on this guy because, and there is a really funny thing. He taught me how to give Lance an injection without getting mm. bitten. Wow. So, well, that's <laughs> another, that's a story for another time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this the, the, the vet that we went to uh, that had blackballed him was the only one open for emergency services on this Sunday night. <laughs> So I was I was trying I was thinking of lying and telling him it was another dog and showing up, <laughs> hoping, hoping the night crew didn't know what the day. I didn't know if they had him like a, if they had a picture of him on the wall in there, you know, yeah, like yeah. a shoplifter, <laughs> you know, so I told him who he was and she and uh, what they had to do, what they had to do um, when they had. They had tried to, and I have actually, I have transcripts of some of his treatment records from that hospital. Hmm. And one of the things they had, they had to muzzle and uh, anesthetize him, to hmm. treat him. So yeah. the, 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 when I called in, the woman said, oh, we'll have the, we'll have the muzzle ready. So, you know, <laughs> I, and I said, I don't think you're going to be able to use it in this case. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my they goodness. Did, they did take him. Um, he had, I'm thinking in the range of 200 to 300 quills Wow! up the nose, in the ears. I, oh. I, didn't, know, I didn't even know that that porcupines carried that many, Yeah, you know, um, I'm not a, just like dogs. I'm not an expert on porcupines. <laughs> so, but, um, wow. There was a bald porcupine somewhere that night. <laughs> and you know, what was amazing. The next day, because it, it went on overnight, they held him overnight. I picked him up in the morning. What's the first thing Lance wants to do? Take a walk. I mean, it was like, <laughs> meantime, I think I took the real beating financially. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, I he bet. Me, it was it was something like $2 a quill. <laughs> and, you know, I mentioned in the book that they didn't even give me the wholesale rate. You know, I figured with that. <laughs> yeah, with that many bulk discount. <laughs> Oh, what you've you certainly made me laugh. Well, <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Do I do I qualify as a reckless in your book, Julie? Oh, definitely, definitely. Nothing wrong with a little bit of reckless. <laughs> I, I, 
because there was a time. <laughs> there was a time. And this one, I, this I feel is one of my best chapters. That's again me, you know. There was a time that uh, I almost froze to death. <laughs> and it was because of my recklessness. <laughs> yeah. What I wound up having to show for it was two broken ribs, which was bad enough. Wow. wow. And I will say this. All the time I went through what I went through, Lance was having the time of his life. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's often the case, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> what am I going to do? Well, I'm happy. I'm OK. Um, it's. I would love to talk more with you about the book because there's obviously so many great stories in there. But I think people are going to have to find them for themselves. But is there is there one more thing that you'd like to, to share with us that we, you haven't had time to so far that I haven't shut up long enough for? Although I haven't, I've uh, shut up a lot in this one. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope I didn't ho- hug the conversation. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I've been very happy to, to sit and listen this time. So, but is there one more story you'd like to tell us or anything else that you'd like to share with us about dogs? Or? If, if, if people are at all intrigued, I would ask them to go to Walter Stoffel author dot com. So that's my W-A-L-T-E-R-S-T-O. Double F is in Frank E L A U T H O R dot com. There, actually, you can do a lot of things there. You can read my blog. If my blog doesn't interest you, you can read Lance's blog. <laughs> and if Lance's blog doesn't interest you, you can purchase the books. You notice how I put the free first? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Get them in with the free. Yeah. <laughs> you might you might think, oh man, his books can't possibly be as bad as these blogs are. <laughs> uh, and the only thing I would suggest, if you live outside of the US, probably look at sources other than myself to send you the book because it's prohibitive as far as posting. Yes. Goes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We'll, we'll put some links on. Yeah. If you happen to be from the U.S. and you're listening to this, though, by all means, you know, contact me because I can give you a, a Lance custom bookmark. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and I also have my own author's Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Lance has his own Facebook page. Excellent. And you know what? I don't take it personally. Lance has more followers. than <laughs> Off in the way. I'll be doggone. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been really interesting. Um, did you want to mention mention the um, audio version as well? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, I did a recording myself of the book. Um, due to issues with that behemoth I mentioned before, we mm-hmm. go unnamed. You <laughs> won't be able to get it on A-M-A-Z-O, etc. Yep. But if you email me or contact me any way possible, I can send you a link where the audio book is available. I will tell you this. If you're interested in the audio book, I would suggest doing a little research because the audio book sites seem to pick their own prices. I have very little say in it. Yes. So you might find it significantly less expensive at one site than another. Mm -hmm. And I apologize for the difficulty in offering you the audio book. But it's, uh, you know, it's uh, David and Goliath, and David isn't winning right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. But, you know, we'll, we'll change online comes very quickly, so it won't be long. <laughs> um, and I think audio audiobooks are, are very popular, and, and as we've seen with, with other things, 
but it becomes the people's product, doesn't it? Um, Julie, it's, Julie mm. could I just could I add one more cliffhanger? Yeah. I post various stories on Facebook, but there's one I never share because it, you really can't do justice to it until you're fully immersed in Lance's history. Mm. There is something he does at the time that my wife's brother dies mm. that is just, it's something I've never seen a dog do, and I doubt I'll ever see it done again. And it was so out of character for Lance. It, it, we talk about it today in amazement. And I'll mm. leave it just at that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, intrigue people well you've told us so many stories Lance sounds wonderful well it sounds wonderful to listen to the stories I can imagine it was a bit hairy at the time to go through <laughs> and just let us know you you do have a canine company now don't you still yes I do yeah we lovely. call her Heidi the hooligan <laughs> good good I like it a dog that's a bit of a hooligan <laughs> so as I was saying earlier to you Julie she's the third dog that's living in the house that Lance bought yeah, yeah. Lovely. And you know, mm-hmm. my, wife, my wife's been thinking about moving closer to her sister in Florida. And I said to her, the only thing I know is if we do that, I'm digging up Lance's remains in the backyard and bringing him with me. Isn't it amazing when the right person meets the right dog? Sadly, it doesn't happen for every person or every dog. But when it does, it's magic. Thanks to Walter for sharing all those stories with me. We have the links he mentioned on the Dogcast Radio site at dogcastradio.com. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. A dog is not a thing. A thing is replaceable. A dog is not. A thing is disposable. A dog is not. A thing doesn't have a heart. A dog's heart is bigger than anything you can ever own. Elizabeth Parker, Poor Prince in the Sand. John Garstang is an animal shelter expert who is spearheading the first ever national initiative in Greece to teach children the value of relationships with animals. As mentioned, he also sings and generally improves the lives of dogs. As you'll gather, this interview was recorded during lockdown. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Julie? I'm all right. I'm, I've, I've got a feeling I'm not quite as good as you because you're in beautiful Greece. Yeah, it's, it's all uh, it's all good. The uh, everything's warming up. The flowers are blooming. The uh, the birds are singing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I couldn't. I can't complain really. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Although I'm hearing there's a scarcity of curly wormies in Greece, but it wouldn't suit me. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's a very it's a very very uh, sore topic, and if I go down the curly whirly absence, uh, it might spoil the thing for everyone else. And yes, yeah. It well, might, people... it might get my temperature up as well. Yeah, I, I know people will be crying, listening, and going, "Oh my goodness, are you kidding me?" But there you go. Yeah. You, you've got the sunshine. So the curly whirlies would melt. It's fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Let's let's get onto the serious topic, the more serious topic. So, dogs. So, tell me a bit about your background with dogs. So, I um, grew up in uh, in mostly in Somerset uh, and uh, in a very countrified environment. I always had dogs. Mm. <laughs> it's the it's the uh, the cliched beginning of the story. A lot of my friends had dogs as well, and they were kind of inside dogs. 
and growing up in a kind of it's not wasn't like it was like a small holding environment i always loved the fact that dogs didn't really need any commands or training they just kind of knew what was going on they knew where they fitted into our world it was very effortless uh it was affectionate when they wanted they were, they were in a way they were a little bit more like cats or, or like the street dogs you find they went off and did their thing there wasn't a lot of traffic and i always loved uh the way that they behaved and um when I went to uh, friends' houses and the dogs were jumping around and stealing things off the table, I always find that kind of strange. Uh, and only, it was only, you know, many years later that I realized um, why that was. But I didn't dwell on it at the time. I just got on with my life. Um, and uh, I studied uh, theater. And I was an a extremely passionate musician. I played uh, music for years and years. And I played in a, in a band in London. And it wasn't until 2005 when I moved to Bristol um, that I stumbled into um, dog care. Um, mm. Initially, just uh, driving around in a van, uh, uh, picking up dogs from people's houses, taking them out. Um, and I was given very specific instructions by my employee what I should do. And it never really sat well with me, although I did enjoy it. Yeah, I just found it effortless and enjoyed being with uh, with the dogs and very therapeutic um, and uh, the more the more I learned from my compadres my the dog trainer I was working for um, the more I uh, learned about the animals but the, but what was really interesting for me is that I um, started to build quite strong bonds with the owners of the dogs hmm. And at one point, the guy was like, well, just pick up the dogs and bring them to me. And I come from a very gregarious kind of Irish family background where you don't really do that. <laughs> you have to kind of hark on about what's going on in the world. And you have to talk about uh, how you observe the animal's behavior and what's happening in the family and uh, build a rapport. And the more I did that, the more I, I found I was getting an insight into how the dog would behave that day. Yeah. Um. So we'd have a chat, and if there was stress in the in the voice of the owner, I'd find stress in the behavior of the dog, and uh, things like that, like really subtle things, but things I was very sensitive to. So I, I continued my work, and I didn't rock the boat too much, but um, I spent about a year and a half doing that in Bristol, and uh, then I moved back to London. So uh, that's when I decided that I was going to try and set up a similar business of my own in in London. Uh, and there was a, a hell of a lot of businesses already doing the same thing. Um, but I found very quickly that I, I, um, at first when I arrived there, I didn't even have a, 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 a vehicle. So I, I'd, I'd walk around the, um, the common, the Wimbledon common and, uh, meet people, talk to them about what I was doing. Eventually I got my first two clients I'd run to the, I'd jog to the house with a backpack, pick them up, take the two dogs out, learn about them and their owners. And then slowly, slowly, I had two more clients, three more clients, four more clients. And then eventually I afforded a, a van. <laughs> and then uh, I built up and built up and built up. And it's only in hindsight that I realized what I was doing correctly is I, I wasn't really interested in just taking the dogs on and walking them for an hour, making the money and taking them home. I was really interested in the relationship between the 
people that had the dogs and the dogs and what was going on. That that was what really inspired me. And that, and that's what over a period of 10 years, uh, I made a real success having a, a business, which eventually grew up into um, learning how to train dogs through reading and studying and things like that. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting because when I think of it, you know, a, a dog walker, you think of the, what I want from, you know, I want a dog walker that won't leave the dog alone in the van or, you know, we'll, we'll maybe walk my dog and one other or whatever it is I, I think of that I want from a dog walker. And I'd never really thought that the dog walker needs to take into account the, the personal situation of the owner because, yeah, of course, that's the context of the dog, isn't it? It has a huge effect on the dog. Well, that's exactly right. But the, 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 the whole point is um, of all the other people that were doing similar things in the environment I was living in, they weren't doing that. They were, they were, they were picking up the dog on a clock. Yeah. Uh, they were putting the dog in. They're walking around the field for an hour, on a, mostly on the lead, putting it back in, dropping it off, taking the money, walking away. And, and it, that just seems weird to me. It's, it seems like because it's almost like for me it's like vocational work it's a bit like being a primary school teacher and going into a primary school clocking in going yeah all right johnny yeah let's have a tick for your pee going home taking your cash it's like you don't do those jobs in my mind for that that reason you know you go and work in the city or you know go, go and do something that's like a sales job that's gradient or whatever graded for me it was like uh, the walking is great and I love it, but um, the psychological stimulation and the the rush of getting to know uh, how people worked and also um, just interacting with people and dogs was just something that I, I really took to naturally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds lovely, wonderful. So how did the move come from that into, into uh, shelters? Uh, well... Just like many, many things in life, we have um, things come out of the weirdest places, but they often come at the time when we need them. Uh, and I had a weird period in my life around 2010 when I was a bit discombobulated and didn't really know what I was doing. And I was, I'd been doing the job for a while and I needed a break and I, I got a, uh, email from a friend of mine who runs an elephant orphanage like she's a friend of mine from university she uh she's a bit of a legend in the animal welfare uh, world she's called rachel merton great friend of mine a real kind of nice blend between the scholarly side of animal welfare but also the practical side and she uh, she was working uh, she, i think she started off like tracking seal pups in antarctica or something wow. or alaska or whatever <laughs> then she went to study the, uh, chimpanzees or something and then she uh she'd she'd got this job working for the david shepherd foundation in africa um looking after uh and finding uh orphan elephants um and had started this uh new process of um uh finding elephants that had been abandoned by the herd after the death of the um the parents bringing them in um and then uh, rehabilitating them to the wild it was a fundraising uh, do in in uh, in Africa and in uh, I think Zimbabwe maybe and and she'd um, a couple of these people were like this big problems with animal welfare in in many countries in southern, uh, southern Africa but Zambia is having a big problem um, you know we, we we really need someone who can help us with the dog problem 
And uh, she thought of me because we're good mates. Um, she'd known I've done well, how many years had I been working then, maybe in London, maybe no more than three or four years. But she called me and said, uh, you know, can you come to Zambia? Because they've never had a dog professional there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, uh, and and work in the animal sanctuary, and it was it was the timing was was perfect. So I um, took me a couple of months to get the money together because obviously it was voluntary, and uh, find someone else to 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 help me out with all the work I was doing. And I jumped on the plane and I went over there, and uh, that was when that was kind of the sledgehammer uh, moment when I suddenly realised that um, all the things I'd been doing up to that point were leading to this. Um, because it was about it was about dealing with uh, animals that didn't have a, much direction. It was dealing with uh, a lot of people there that didn't really know a lot about what they were doing. Um, but it, most of all, it was about the ability to improvise. Um, and uh, I arrived there, and they didn't expect this. They expected, you know, a guy in tweed with a notebook or whatever. And I was like, I was like ten years younger than I am now. I'm, I had my my hair was all over the place, and I had I had my guitar, and I think I probably had like a bottle of Jim Beam in the other hand or something like that. <laughs> and they were a bit like, "What? Uh, what is? What are you? Who are? You, what is? Who are you?" I was like, "I'm the guy that's come <laughs> to help you with your dog work." And they, it, it was there was a lot of shock there, and um, I didn't have anywhere to stay. I was sleeping uh, in the back of a truck. Um, it was a. Uh, it was really uh, mad. I'd never been to that part of the world before. It was, but the, the the thing was, as soon as the job started, and I saw what I had to do, and I saw um, how the dogs needed direction and guidance and structure and all the things I've been learning for the last few years, um, I clicked in. I focused, and uh, yeah. It, it brought the best out of me for sure. And uh, that's what started the journey. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So then you could apply all things you'd learned with the dogs you were walking to those dogs. So, I mean, how did you get started? Because that sounds like it was quite a, those dogs were really in need of, of some help from the sound of it. Yeah. Like um, there was, there's no, te- there was no template per se. Like, and, and one of the things that's pushed me on since is the, is the, la- is the lack of template and the fact that, um, from the work I've been doing since is it, that's that's the thing that I want to try and create um, because there is no there's no real excellent go to resource that um, that people can use. So um, for me, it's always it's always down to you go back to basics. You go back to classical conditioning, which is all, the first thing with uh, shelter animals. Um, you know, just making sure that they know that they're being reinforced for the right things. They also just used to leave like a big um, cauldron of food uh, in in the different places, which was not only a point of conflict, but also it had no value. The dogs were just not interested. Um, There was no uh, sense of uh, making each dog feel its own worth or or pairing them up with other dogs they got on with. So it was, it was just structureless and it was, it was chaotic. And uh, I mean, if you wanted just to have a, like a like a dog farm where dogs lived and were fed forever and that would be fine then it would have been it would have been okay but they wanted to rehome these dogs but they hadn't rehomed a dog for like 18 months oh, wow. because every time someone walked into the compound they'd just be greeted with uh you know 90 uh shouting dogs and they would frighten them off 
Yeah, yeah. And, I think uh, I think lockdown has given certainly given me an insight into that kind of life because now <laughs> I find my behaviour is getting very dog-like. So if I see somebody, we, we've been locked down for personally, we have been sort of locked down for almost a year now, and you know you see somebody walking past you, oh oh, who's that? Who's that? And it's it's a big thing, or somebody walks past the back of that, oh oh, who's that? And it's. It's just that's the highlight of the day. Or somebody walked past, and I suddenly think, "Oh my goodness, I've t- I've turned into one of the dogs because I'm like, wow, and that's interesting. And food is such a big thing, as you can tell. But you know, it's it's those little things that I've I've got enough to eat. I've got to I've somewhere to sleep. I've got comfort. I've got I've got a television, and but I, I still want that. I guess novelty, you know, just mental stimulation, just something new, and and it's such an an insight into a dog's life you know if they don't get out very much if they don't see and sniff new things and 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 that kind of is it really opened my eyes to what we what humans need what i need and what dogs need probably yeah i think that's a it's an excellent observation um that um you know we we get used to it. it's institutionalization in a way it's like the yeah. same thing that happens with people if they, you know if they're in prison for too long and um the, the whole point is to realize like uh, I was like my son the other day, he's like seven. He was, it was a uh, six months ago or whatever. He was watching TV and he was like, it's, why have they got those um, fake dummies in the crowd? And I said, well, because there's no crowds now. And he looked at me and I said, I just want you to know, uh, Ozzy, that this is not uh, a normal thing. And I, and I just, and I said to him, please don't get used to this being normal. Yeah. Because when we start to get used to things that are abnormal, then they become kind of dangerous. And, yeah. you know, I, I just, I didn't, you know, obviously it, it, the necessity is, is it, 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 we need to keep everyone safe and everyone needs to play their role, of course. But, you know, I just said to my son, like, you know, remember, just, you know, remember these things. And But even now, like when we watch a highlight of a couple of years ago, a game, the way it makes us feel, that's the, the physiological uh, reflex I was talking about earlier is that, oh my God, like, yeah. Yeah, that's I remember that, and that's it wasn't long ago, you know. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you, you do adapt so quickly at things that you're seeing, and as an adult, um, you've had many, many years. <laughs> Some of us have had more more years than others, but you know, you've had many years of seeing what is normal, and then yeah. so you know, for example, I was watching um, Would I Lie to You last night, and they're all sitting um, distanced, um, and it just becomes you know, the first time you see that, it's like, oh. Oh, that's different and then you're, you're right it does start to become yeah we just accept it and I'm sure it's going to be strange to see them all back together again but it does but for a child it's even more important isn't it that to, to have that conversation and say this isn't normal don't you know don't get used, used to this yeah look, I mean we, we, we could we could we could play on and, and work with this metaphor uh for hours uh when it comes to shelter dogs because yeah. I, mean, it, it, I mean we've really stumbled down a, a cul-de-sac which is uh which is uh which is you know, it's it's full of uh, of magic because even though it's difficult to go somewhere from there, there's so much goodness in the idea of like, what do you know? What do, what is normal? Yes. And how yeah. do you make something? How do you when you think something is normal but it's not? How do you how do you transfer it into a new life? And yeah, uh, this is a this is kind of the essence of what I try and do with working with um, shelter dogs in the different places I've been, and and it's it's such an interesting um, discipline because, you know, I study lots of different dog trainers and lots of different uh, theories. Um, but at the end of the day, all of it goes out the window when you confront the dog 
the specific uh, situation it's come from and the new people that are taking it on and they're going, you know, with all the best intentions. And you're trying to work out with the best intentions uh, and with this dog at, at the best we can make it, can we make this work? Yeah. Uh, and can I be the conduit to, to bring it together? Uh, you know, so it doesn't matter how, how many uh, degrees you have or how much you study or whatever, you still need that instinct, that timing, uh, yeah. the empathy, all of these things to to make these things work, and that's what really makes um, that's what made that's what made me stick at this work for more than ten years, despite um, you know it being completely voluntary and uh, and uh, you know me having to do various other jobs to uh, to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, I would say you do have to have all those qualities, and also as you've said, perseverance because it's yeah. an, I imagine it's a very, it's a, an emotional roller coaster as they say. But I imagine there's ups and downs and you know, during those downs, it must be so tempting to think, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to walk away. But to to keep on with that work for for the highs, to stay in there for the highs and for the, you know, for the dogs, because it must be rewarding. And obviously you, you're giving them a new life. So, I mean, you do need perseverance and um, resilience is the word I think I'm looking for, you know, that you can you can withstand that. And you you definitely have that perseverance because you, you've, I mean, this is amazing. You've You've written an educational booklet for the Greek, animal welfare society and that's been taken on by the greek ministry of education this is this is amazing stuff so how did that come about well it, it, it's not actually that's not 100 percent true oh right I, okay <laughs> I, no, I, no i didn't write it for them yeah okay but this but this is one of the uh the the kind of enchantingly uh, uh dysfunctional things about greece that <laughs> i i um when I came to, like, I'd, I'd worked in a couple of countries and I'd, I'd, I'd start to get a bit of a reputation, someone who could, like a troubleshooter, really, because yeah. my, my job is, like, I, the way I see it is, like, because I don't work for an association, I don't work with any partners, I don't have any backup. So when I go and work somewhere, I literally, I'm, I'm like a wrecking ball and I love to think laterally, I love to, like, go into bars and go into, um, and, and just phone everyone and say, who are you? And like, can you help me? And I'm this guy. And I, I'm, I love to do that. I love to kind of disrupt everything. And everyone's like, who the hell is this guy? And I really love that part of the job and getting, you know, you're getting you, your policemen telling you to go back to your own country because you're, they're, you're annoying because you're trying to stop little children selling puppies on the street. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You know, get, get arrest this kid or at least take the puppy off him and tell him it's not cool. Yeah. So when I arrived in, in Greece, I really thought I was going to be given a, uh, a certain amount of leeway to, 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 to do what I was doing. And they, and literally, uh, well, I discovered later that where I now live in Rhodes, yeah, where I now live in Rhodes in Greece is not the kind of place where they take kindly to that kind of behavior. Yeah. Um, a lot of them don't uh, like the status quo being, uh, dealt, uh, messed with, especially the, um, the bureaucratic, uh, government funded, uh, sh- shelters or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because it's, that's where their funding is if I suddenly come along and stop educating things and they just don't like it. Yeah. And they just, they basically told me, you know, I was told many times, just sting your hook. We're not interested in, uh, in what you know, what you, who you think you are. We don't want your help. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and yeah, it happened multiple times. And, and so I, I decided after a few um, years, a couple of years, I just thought I was still doing my, my private training and all this kind of stuff. And I was, and the most important thing, I was, I was getting the vets, the young vets, on my side, which yeah. is a huge. 
and they they were following me because I was the only person doing positive reinforcement training here. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just thought, right, I'm not going to try and fight this anymore. This is doing my head in. I'm going to just write a little booklet. And between me and you and the people watching it, it took, I probably wrote it in about like two and a half hours. Yeah. You know, just, I just, I just splurged stuff that I'd been working on for 10 years down on a page. I happened to be drinking in this pub in the old town, which was like full of old pats, uh, so expats, like talented kind of um, stray type people that have fallen out of different places and loads of talent though. Someone agreed to do uh, some illustrations for me. Brilliant illustrator. And um, I knocked this thing together in, I don't know, a couple of weeks maybe yeah excellent. um and uh and and, and so I, was, I, I planned to get it done made maybe make a few thousand copies and sell them in either vets or pet shops mm. and what happened was someone through my uh facebook or whatever found that the the first draft of the book they sent it to a pr agent in athens who sent it to the um <laughs> The PFPO, which is the Panhellenic Animal Welfare Association, yeah. saw it, loved it, sent it to the Ministry of Education, and within three or four weeks, it was approved by the government. Wow, excellent. Yeah, just like pure – I mean, people were telling me before, things like this don't get made and approved yeah. within years. And normally it's if you have to pay someone or you have to be someone's cousin or whatever. Yeah, uh, but just through pure zeitgeist, pure luck, it got through. So, yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. So that now you can help children and children get the right idea, sort of from the start. Is that right? So, the only way you can like tackle like hubristic, like overly pr- proud behaviour about people who really don't think that they're doing anything wrong is you can't beat them down with facts and figures and you can't, you, you just can't. And uh, if you try, you waste your time. Yeah. Um, so what the only way you can really do it is try and convert the people you can with the facts and figures. So my, 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 uh, my theory was just like, let's just go straight. Let's go straight to the source. Let's go to the kids because you have to go a little bit deeper. But if you, if you look at the way that every country has got a different way of it coming up from, where it's you know where it's come from and yeah. obviously England's a country that's been around for a, quite a long time but like a lot of countries they have a they have a more recent um uh, births yes and they or they or they have like for example Rhodes has been a, a tourist uh, trap for since maybe the 70s so like t- to try and apply one set of ideas to another place doesn't work um, yeah. always you have to so yeah it's like you know America's foreign policy. <laughs> I don't want to get into that, but it's like you, you can't. There's not a there's not a cookie cutter idea for anywhere. Yeah. You have to be really mindful of the the history, the culture. The you don't want to patronize people. You want to educate them, but you don't want to be difficult and all these kind of things. So, I think uh, with with this part of the world, they just in the 60s and 50s this place it was goats and olive trees and and, and, and olive oil and, and citrus fruits and and they didn't have tourism tourism uh, hit them really hard uh, and it brought them unbelievable amounts of wealth mm-hmm. very very quickly and 
some of one foot is in the in the new world and one foot is in the old world and and sometimes you see them together very sparsely um you'll see like uh like a a load of uh, rolls royces or whatever and then you'll see a dog chained up around the back of the of the alleyway and you're like wait a minute yeah um, what's going on here so um because of the wealth situation here i knew that i couldn't tell a lot of people how they should behave and I, it's not really my place to do that either all i wanted to do was just give the the younger generation uh the opportunity to make the decision for themselves by giving them the best information i could yes yeah i mean when i say you know the, the right way to do things to, to, to the right attitude to to animals and sort of the right way to train and to interact with an animal is what I'm talking about. Not, you know that, and and it's, it seems to me it's borne out by science. If we look at the science of what um, what is effective, but at, with least damage to the animal, if you like, that leaves the animal happy. That doesn't cause them to have um, cortisol flowing around their body because they're stressed. You know that's that's what I'm talking about. The the right, you know what I'm talking about. But you know, uh, to anybody listening, I, I'm, I'm not saying you know, the right way that, that it's um, you know in a in a judgmental way, but the, with with the kindest way to to interact with with animals and i think i mean i used to teach and the discussions you can have with children about animals are really interesting and you suddenly see society laid bare in what they're saying to you um yeah. and i you know i'm always very careful that that again i would never dream of saying to a child actually that's that's wrong but we but you can explore it and say oh right okay and how do you think the dog feels about that and sort of have those oblique um conversations that maybe it doesn't even really go in the first time but af- af- that percolates kind of thing and 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 um and leads them to a, a, a maybe a, a a deeper understanding of the animal I, you know um but yeah I, th- I definitely think if you can get spark some thought while they're children that that has the best chance of sort of um bringing about change doesn't it yeah i think like again you're you're absolutely on the money like uh um it's it's for me it's like about belief systems like belief systems uh uh kind of they they inform the way that we uh emotionally engage with the world so the belief system is uh inform the uh the emotional engagement and they that in, uh, informs the thoughts and that informs the deeds yeah you know it's for me for me that's how things work and if the belief systems are like you said earlier, like, you know, you, that's wrong, that's right. You, you, you're so correct in the sense that it's about, you know, let's have a conversation about where we get to these points. Yeah. And, and, let's, not, and let's not be dogmatic about dog work. It's like, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's madness. And, and, and it's actually very, very um, logical as well, which is kind of, kind of crazy. Like, for example, two of the huge issues that I have here, as a trainer, um, I see someone with a dog. They've got a naturally good rapport with it. I'm like, you're doing great with your dog. Okay, my friend, when can I start to train my dog? When it's seven months, eight or nine months? My friends tell me different months. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I don't need to explain to your uh, your viewers, your listeners, why that's crazy. Um, the dogma is, and everyone, like it's virtual. When I first arrived here five years ago, no one would take the idea seriously that you can train uh, a puppy. Yeah. And the, the, maybe the mother was doing that to its puppies when it was in the litter. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's exactly how things work. You know, my, my son speaks three languages. Uh, he's hungry for knowledge. 
And it would be like me saying to him, look, uh, mate, I'm not teaching you any more languages or any maths until you're eight. Yeah. It's the same thing. And, um, and so that was one, that's one of the huge, the huge things I have to deal with here. And, um, and it's one of those really interesting things because as soon as you tell someone that and you explain it to them, there is, there's no, there's nothing they can say, but it's like, why didn't you think about that? Yeah. And I, and I think, I think it's the lack of critical thought around this subject. It's just, it's just not been a topic for them to, to, uh, to talk about because they haven't taken it seriously. Yeah. They, dogs have been commodified. Cats have been commodified. Um, uh, animals that they eat or whatever, are, 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 they're already commodities. So it's just something that they, they don't apply the same logic they would, for example, to their business that they would to something like this. But but may I say uh, to on the good side that things are really changing and they're happening in front of our eyes. Yeah, brilliant, excellent, excellent. Um, I was uh, one of my friends has lived in Crete for a long time, and um, that's Greece, isn't it? My my geography is hopeless. Plata, Plata, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's the biggest <laughs> Greek island, I think. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm just checking before I have to sound right. really, really stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. She's, Crete's like I think Crete is probably like the most Greek place there possibly is, except for Athens. Ah, but there you go, there you go. And she's lived there for a while, and she's, um, you know, I've heard all her stories about um, fostering dogs, and um, and then she's she's come back to the UK now with with her dog. But um, you know, it is from what she said. Again, it's not a right or wrong, but there's a, it's a different ethos around animals just to a large extent. And you know, if life is hard, you. <laughs> Our animals, I think, are a reflection of sort of our society, aren't they? That they you can treat, you can have time to think about them and, and treat them kinder if everything's going well and your economy is going well and your personal economy is going well. You know, so I think maybe that comes into play. But um, but you know, hopefully, as as we go forward and and things like your educational leaflet, hopefully that booklet is you know that it will help improve things for dogs and animals, won't it? Yeah, I think uh, I think if, if if you can teach one person uh, the importance of like positive reinforcement and looking for the good thing, I always say like, and it's a, it's not just something that for, it's something that I see in myself in my relationships. If I've been friends with someone for a long time, or uh, in a relationship with a girl for a long time, or whatever, or if I'm just annoyed with someone, you know, you can start looking for the negative things uh, a lot. Um, and 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 this is a like a metaphor like uh for when we for when people own dogs if they don't know what they're looking for if you start to embrace and enjoy the gorgeous things that that, that make up probably 90% of your relationship then you know you're onto a winner but yeah. we all know that when we become jaded in a relationship we don't do that we look for the annoying things like when yeah. you know, whatever's happening yeah and another yeah. thing yes yeah and and, and and when you and when i teach people about classical conditioning for example especially with with uh, uh shelter dogs it's like you know you've got to you've got to look for the tiny elements like the tiny things that you think are great and they're working they're building blocks and the, the and i always say to people like it's the, the more that you do that the more that and the dog is also checking in with you but the dog has far superior skills of uh, body language recognition than we do yeah um you know you, know, you I might think I'm pretty decent after, you know, doing this for a while, but they're, they're 10 times better than I'll ever be. And they're checking in with me. And as I, and as I reward them and I say, look, John, I love the fact you just put your wet nose on my knee and looked up at me and, or you just kind of lay down on your own on the cushion. 
And I think I think that's cool. I'm just going to say thank you for that. And uh, and the dogs the dogs notice that it goes in. It becomes like part of the way that they feel. And yeah, you know that's a massive part of my teaching. It's like let's give them that, like the ready brick man. You know, <laughs> yes, like, yes, given that glow of like uh, you know constant recognition for the things that they do. Yeah, and also obviously for the for the recognition of the absence of the things that we we prefer not to see which is obviously the other part of the equation yeah do you know it's um I wonder because when you were saying about the age at which you start training a dog and I can sort of remember um in the 70s you know people saying oh you can't train a dog until they are whether that was three months or six months or whatever it was and you think oh my goodness by six months they've got into such bad habits (laughs) but it occurs to me that because I, again, I can remember, um, I won't name names, but I can remember um, quite strident trainers and sort of that, you know, push their bottom down for a sit and do this and be, be very firm with them. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but if you, I don't know whether you can remember her. But anyway. I know who you mean. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so it was very strident, wasn't it? And for sort of you do this and I'm going to, it was hands on. And of course you don't want to do that with a little puppy. You know, that's, that's not how you feel about a little puppy and it shouldn't be how you feel about a dog. But do you think because our methods are kinder now that we feel more able to apply them to a puppy and to to sort of bring that, you know, coax that out from a puppy rather than making them do something? Do you think that's why we can train them earlier? I think um, there's there's a few different elements to that. So you also have you have the idiosyncratic element of the of the of the dog, of the individual dog, you know. We can have, I always say to people, you know, we can have uh, stereotypes here. Labradors are, are greedy and uh, Jack Russell's are, you know, are tenacious. Or, uh, you could say also that, you know, I'm in Greece, so I can say, I can make these jokes like English people are always drunk <laughs> or German people are always on time. <laughs> I use these for like, for joking purposes yes. in, my, in my work, but it's yeah. like, but like animals are idiosyncratic like we are. Like uh, each individual dog has different capacities to learn. Yeah. I think that rather than, Rather than trying to uh, put put uh, barriers down to how we teach, I mean, you, we should always be teaching with positive reinforcement methods because, yeah, you know, if you if you, if you look at the uh, statistics and you look at the best trainers in the world in terms of what they're doing, uh, there's a great I can't remember the quote, but it's something like you know the, uh, one of the world's top police dog trainers says, yeah, like aversive techniques can work if if you're doing it perfectly, but you can do the same things more quickly and more with more uh, e- efficacy with positive training. So just from yeah. an objective point of view, just from purely objective, not even thinking about the welfare, like if you're just doing something because you need a well-trained dog, why would you do something that isn't as effective? So yeah. if you want to just be objective, like, you know, of course I always want to talk about welfare and things like that, but sometimes you need to, um, to make a point, you need to take a step back from that and just say, look, look at the efficacy, look at the things you can actually yeah. achieve for less time with more uh, connection, with more everything, yeah, than, absolutely. Than the positive, reinfor- but you know, but the thing is, it's it's all about the me- mechanics of it as well, like the timing and knowing what you're looking for. That you know, the thousands of hours, or the hundreds of hours you spend with the dogs to see these little things all the time. Yeah. You know, so you got that kind of spider sense. So you're always kind of seeing like the whites of the eyes of the dogs, or the softness of the eyes from a dog from a long, long way away. You know, a lot of the time it teach, it's difficult to teach someone who's just started about, can you see if the dog's eyes are soft or are they hard? Yeah. Or can you see uh, can you see if the hindquarters are tight or if they're not? And, um, you know, and, and you can go deeper and deeper, deeper. I mean, there are there are thousands of 
dog people in the world that know a million times more than I do about all these things. Uh, I'm like a jack of all trades because I, uh, because I've done most of my work in shelters. So I, yes. I, I don't specialize in, in many, like uh, I'm pr probably terrible at clicker training and uh, lure rod training and all these kind of things, but I have to work with animals that are just from the street most of the time. Yeah. So I've learned to look for tiny cues and tiny, tiny uh, uh, cues, either uh, positive or negative or neutral or whatever, and, and talk people about that. So that's, that's my area. So I'd say like to, to your question that I think that we just need to be more in tune with our animals on an individual level yeah, uh, learn, and, and learn like how they learn best. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I've told this story before, but um, I make no apologies for it. Um, but with with my <laughs> I like to tell it. No, but with my Labrador, <laughs> with with my Labrador, who was you know very was sensitive. Labrador. Oh yes, Labrador. He was beautiful. He was gorgeous, my Labrador, and he taught me so much. Um, but I could sort of. He, he um, I could, if I wanted him to do a stay, I'd have to do, you know, the, the stern face and the hand signal and look, I mean it, mate. I, I really mean it now. You stay there. And he would do it. And then he knew he was doing the right thing and he'd come for a, a treat and he was quite happy with that. And he'd keep just checking in with me. Yeah. Okay. With our border collie we had, I went in with the same idea that I've got to do this stern face and this hand signal. And the dog, the, the border collie ran to me like, what's the matter? What's the matter? What have I done? And so I was like, with him, it had to be a smiley face and a hand and a thumb and a hand and a thumb because it's like, good dog, you're doing the what I'm, you know, the right thing, what I want you to do. And and so I had to really adapt from this sort of, I'm telling you to do this to, thank you very much, that's a good dog. And I think you're so right that each dog is an adventure and you have to be brave enough to go on that adventure with that particular dog, don't you? And, and find out what works for for you as a as a partnership that's that's again like you're smashing out of the park tonight julie like you're <laughs> the, the point of, i should be interviewing you really, <laughs> but no but you, but you're uh you're, you're exactly right like it, it is it's idiosyncratic like there, there, of course there are um loads of overarching things that apply to this and that and yeah um and of course and there, and you say there is no right or wrong you know you can argue with that i mean there are wrong things you can do like i mean i'm in greece uh, I just don't think chaining a dog is ever really right. Mm. Uh, so, uh, um, so obviously there are parameters, there are, uh, there are situations where there are complexities. Yes. But, um, yeah. but, but the, the thing that they get wrong here is they don't um, socialize and they don't uh, train their dogs young. They just yeah. don't literally yeah. don't like today. I went to a couple, I've just met them in the beautiful old town of Rhodes and, they called me up. I couldn't believe it. And I went around today and they're in their fifties. They've got a beautiful shop where they make leather sandals. It's like really archetypal Rhodian people. They've got all the little uh, blue uh, evil eye things that they sell. Yeah. Leather sandals. They've got a puppy. They go, do you think, is this a thing about puppies chewing leather sandals? I'm like, you're just basically giving them like a whole room full of chew toys. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and and the, and they and I said to them, the guys, at the end of the the, the 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 dog's like ten and a half, eleven weeks old. I said, you are uh, you're ninety percent ahead of the game compared to anywhere else in this country because you've called me already, and you care enough to call me, yeah. and uh, you're interested to learn. But the whole, I I always say that I live for the light bulb moment, like because most of the work I do, it's 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 about theory and 
concepts rather than um, practical applications. I, I do give practical applications, of course, but it's all about mindset. Like, you know, what's going on in this situation? What's happening here? What is like, what is, what is this dog trying to tell you? Or, you know, how are you reacting to what is happening in this given circumstance? Uh, and people are like, oh, my God. They, ex- they expect me to go in and say, right, here's a biscuit and roll over here. But, you know, it's, it's never like that. Yeah. And uh, today, these when I left, I said, you know, you, you're, you're so far along the line because you've already thought about all this stuff. And now we're in a position for this dog to become like your ultimate companion. And yeah. uh, the things are changing. It's nice. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, it's, it's thanks to you and people like you. So well done, John. Brilliant. Um, is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to say? Because I'm, I'm just one eye on the time. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? I just think uh, read widely, like keep an open mind. Um, try not to get drawn into the uh, divisive and polarized uh, narrative that a lot of people um, try and drag you into. It's not a fight. It's not an argument. Uh, we're all we're, we should all be fighting for the same cause. We're all different. Uh, I'm a lot more wacky and outspoken and uh, uh, less scholarly than a lot of people out there. Um, but I put my money where my mouth is and, um, and I try and get things done. Uh, I'm terrible at working in groups because I, I don't like the politics because I can't then just do stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I, I realize now uh, as I as I as I get more recognition for what I'm doing that I am going to have to become a little bit more collaborative. So. It's good for me to come on uh, things like this and try and behave like a normal human being and uh, share that I'm uh, because I've only really got this far by the force of my will and my personality. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. There's a few things. Um, I'm, I'm just create. I'm creating a, a series of uh, courses for um, the Greek Animal Welfare Federation and a couple of uh, organizations in the UK um, Starlight Barking and uh, um, the dogsvoice.gr have asked me to create a series of uh, uh, video courses specifically aimed at uh, people that take um, dogs from shelters. So, hmm. you know, creating a good antecedent arrangement, making sure that you get the first day correct, uh, um, laying down really nice boundaries for the dogs and uh, and making sure that the dog's not overwhelmed and all these kind of things from my experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing that at the moment. Um, really randomly from my, from my, uh, from my past life as a musician, um, I've, I've created a piece of music with a couple of Greek friends of mine, which is going to be used on a uh, Greek advertising campaign. It's a, it's a, it's a song, it's a hip hop ballad in Greek and English. Mm-hmm. As a as a um, a song for Greek television to promote anti cruelty, so I'll, I'll send you a link to that if you were interested. Brilliant, yes, please. Which is, which is again, it's like a Trojan horse. Like <laughs> I, I was joshing with a lady from a magazine the other day, and she said, "Well, you know, I've looked at your book, and what's that got to do with this?" And I'm like, "Well, it's it's a the Greek government gave me the the foot in the door, so." Yes. What am I going to do? Am I going to take it out the door and say, sorry, you got it wrong. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to do that. No. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work with what I have. So, you know, this is like the second Trojan horse. It's like, a, I've got the, I've got this, the song, which is, I think is going to be a big, a big hit in, uh, in uh, Greece. And it's in Greek and English. And it's, it's opening up to the hearts of the young people and 
showing them about uh, the the effect they can have. So, you know, just use your own power and, uh, you know, be kind and, uh, and that's, that's the best thing you do. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Every time someone gives you the ball, you run with it because, you know, that's how you achieve things, isn't it? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Where can people um, find out more about you online? I can put the links on the Doncaster site because I know some of them are quite long, but um, where, what's the best place for people to find out about you online? Well, um, you're welcome to contact me uh, through my um, through my uh, Facebook page and my Instagram, which is Positive Pet Project. Uh, both of those things, Positive Pet Project, uh, those have got some, uh, and also an, uh, a YouTube channel, which is kind of new, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm truly useless at um, the social media, uh, and I've, so I've, I've actually found someone recently uh, who's, who, that, that I made a really nice video on my YouTube channel about uh, my first uh, foray into working at schools, which is, your, you can find on the YouTube channel, which is really nice. Um, he, the guy, the same guy is going to come back and do the, the, the series of courses with me. So that's going to be uh, coming out soon. The, the, the main book that I'm creating will be finished within the next six, seven weeks, which is uh, an extension on the book that I wrote for the schools, which is a, an illustrated book, really simple, basic stuff for people who, uh, want to learn about how to look after a dog when it first comes into your house, that'll be finished, um, in the next seven or eight weeks. And the song, which will be on a on a on a channel, but only for people in Greece, um, I'm hoping uh, that I can get a, a copy of the song to you, Julie. If any of you are interested, um, that will be um, on a YouTube channel when the video for that's made. So, other than those things, uh, you just have to come to Rhodes and uh, and uh, come and stay with me and my family. <laughs> yes, and bring you some curly whirlies. <laughs> Give me some curly whirlies and uh, you can stay for free, and I'll give you a guided tour of all the uh, the beautiful things in Rhodes. And, it, and we'll make a trip to the, the shelter, and I'll take you to show you people that are working here with the animals. And uh, uh, if you're interested in that, then uh, then I can help you with that. Excellent. Okay, lots to look forward to <laughs> when we can get out and about again. Thank you very much, John, and the best of luck. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much. Take care. Fantastic. We change attitudes little by little, person by person, dog by dog. Well done to John for making life better for dogs and for people. We have all the links he mentioned at dogcastradio.com. And if you'd like to hear John's song in full, keep listening to the end of this podcast, which won't be long because that's all we have time for. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. 
From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you call a dog who can pick up a mythical hammer? A Labrador. Ό,τι δεν κάνει ο καιρό να σου το κάνει ο άνθρωπό σου. Είναι ταμένο να σε πονάει. Απ' τη μια να σε χαϊδεύει και απ' την άλλη δυνατά να σε χτυπάει. Πού θα πάει, για ποιο λόγο. Με αγόρασε και είμαι το κορόιδο. Σήμερα μου κόψε τα αυτιά και την ουρά μου. Συγγνώμη, ξέχασα, πήρε και τα παιδιά μου. Πολύ φοβάμαι πω αφού τα βασανίσει, πάει στα δικά του για να τα ανανουρίσει. Αύριο λέει είναι πολύ μεγάλη μέρα. Θα παλέψω με ένα τέρα σαν και εμένα Κι άμα είμαι δυνατός και το κερδίσω Μια υπέροχη ζωή θα συνεχίσω Μη φοβάσαι, don't be afraid Φίλος μου να σε είμαι αφραίρ και να σε Ever you are Πάρε μια θέση Just make a stand Μη φοβάσαι, don't be afraid Φίλος μου να σε είμαι αφραίρ Όπου και να σε Αναντίστροφη η ρόλη μας ήταν για μια νυχτιά Και μου έλυνες από το λαιμό μου τη φιλιά Να πάρω ανάσα, να βρω μιλιά Πρώτα απ' όλα θα σε γέμιζα χίλια φιλιά Είσαι του κόσμου μου το κέντρο θα σου έλεγα Και που γεννήθηκα στον δρόμο σου δεν είναι φτεγά Θα έκαιγα βία στα πισμή 
ξεχάσω, να ξεχάσω τις σκιές σου, μη τις νοιάσω Τα κουνιάζα στην αγκαλιά σου όλο το βράδυ, να σου γλυφώ τις πληγές σου στο σκοτάδι Μέχρι πάλι στη θέση μου να πρέπει να γυρίσω για να σκάψω το χώμα που την ψυχή μου θα αφήσω Γι' αυτό κοντά μου είναι άσε κάτι να θυμάμαι, πίστος φίλος χωρίς φίλους δεν θα με Φτάσε και πιάσε τα δεσμά μου έλα και σπάσε γίνε ο ζώδοχος ήλιος μου και λάμψε Έλα πες μου μη φοβάσαι Πες μου πάλι το πιφέιν Μη φοβάσαι Φίλος μου να σε Μίλα για μένα Be my friend Έλα πες μου μη φοβάσαι Πες μου πάλι Don't be afraid Μη φοβάσαι Φίλος μου να σε Μίλα για μένα Be my friend 